Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to drink an unholy number of beers. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys. And this week we are reading A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller. And we're starting with a very special beer that I had to smuggle back from Belgium. Did you have to smuggle it? I, in my luggage, yeah. You cannot buy this in the States. It's not really smuggling. Well, no, but like, it's, there's a story. So, Canticle for Leibowitz is a post-apocalyptic science fiction novel from like 1961 or something like that, 1960. And it focuses on the activities of the order of the... Of the of of Leibowitz. Saint Leibowitz. But he's not Later even Saint, Saint yeah, Leibowitz. Yeah, he's not even Saint So it follows this monastic order. So when I was in Belgium recently, I had the opportunity to pick up three bottles of West Flederen uh, beers, which are made by a monastery and one of the few Trappist ales that are still made. Uh, Trappist breweries that still exist. And this is usually considered the best one. Now, is it the best one? I don't know. We can't really compare. We don't only have these ones today. But I tried a lot of them. Um, and I have my opinions on them at least. But the part that makes it so... Uh, desirable is that this monastery sells just enough beer to pay for itself so they do not make huge quantities and it is a pain in the ass to buy their beer you cannot get it outside of belgium very easily at all i've never seen it here except for there was one time in the states where they needed to buy a new roof or something for the monastery so they made a whole bunch of beer and then they distributed that a little more widely so if they wanted they could have the coolest monster in the world but they don't no because they take vows of douchiness but they sell it like something crazy. Like I've read different things online, but it's like one day a month you could go, you could go shop, you can go buy beer, and you have to call ahead of time at the right time and get the monk on the phone and the say, one who hasn't taken a vow of silence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have to tell them your car's license plate, and they'll say, "All right, you can come and you can buy two cases of beer or something pretty limited," and they'll give you a two-hour window. If you don't come in there in there two hours, and they won't sell it to you. And they say, "Fuck you, come back next month. I'll pray for you." So it's really hard <laughs> to get there from the monastery itself, but there are lots of people that resell it. For a huge markup. So I paid like 12 euros a bottle for these, which is like a million dollars. But it's like <laughs> a million. It's like 15 or 16 bucks, depending on the day, I guess, uh, which is fine. It's not compared to how much we spent on some beers, actually. It's not that crazy. <laughs> yeah, not that bad. But so this is the weakest one. This is the green cap one. It's like five and a half percent alcohol, and it's the blonde. So I don't have too high expectations for this. What do you guys think? It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. nice. Sure. I don't see what's amazing. The, the tale about this. it is better than the beer itself. Yeah, and I think like if you don't have the opportunity to try it, and you are one of those beer nerds that like oh, I need to try that, it's just going to build up in your head like the white whale sort of thing. And for a, while, a couple of years ago, on the um, beer nerd websites like Beer Advocate and Rate Beer and stuff like that, I forget which one. This was one of these. I think it's number twelve. The twelve we're going to have later. The gold cap was listed as the greatest beer in the world. Really, it had the highest hmm. reviews. Is that partially because it, uh, it's rarity? I think so. I think it's like a fulfilling thing there. Like, you say, oh, it's the rarest beer. Then you have it, and you probably had to go way out of your way or spend a lot of money to get it. So you're going to say, ooh, it is amazing. It's so good. It made my fucking dick grow two inches. You're going to say... Well, it's made by monks. The power <laughs> of Jesus is in the beer. It's not made by priests, though. They're the ones that are interested in dick growth. <laughs> so let's start with this book. I think they like them before they grow. <laughs> Uh, Touche. So yeah, okay. Canticle for Leibowitz. Uh, what year did it come out? I think it 60, was like fifty nine or sixty. But it's actually a patch up of a couple of shorter works that he had written that made he sense. edited it to fit together. That was confusing for me. I didn't know that part. So at the end of the first one, I was like, "What the fuck?" 
And then yep. the second part, I was like, oh, this is very different. Okay, this is not what I thought it would be. So anyway, it's uh, fifty. Uh, it's coming out. It came out during the height of the Cold War. This is a very important piece. But in nineteen, not thought. I mean, the Cold War went on for a long time. But fifty nine and sixty. This is when you know Eisenhower was all about mutually assured destruction. And so, and when it seemed very, very reasonable to people that the world could end at any time because you know U.S. and Russia just launched their nukes at each other, and they were right. That was an entirely reasonable, you know, fear. This, this book, so then we get to the book. This book takes place, well, it starts out in the Middle Ages. You think. Except it's not the Middle Ages, it's the future after the nuclear apocalypse and, and the world has reverted back to the Middle Ages because they just destroyed everything. Yes. It's, uh, each chapter has a na- uh, each section has a name, right? They're in Latin. There's a fiat, lot. Of, fiat Lux, Fiat Homo, Le- and Fiat... Something else. Fuck, I forget the other one. Yeah. But so like, Fiat Lux is Let There Be Light. Right, mm. like let there be homos is the second <laughs> section. So that chapter's fabulous. <laughs> let there be man, and I forget what the last one. So Fiat Luke's like let there be like it's like I think that's the first the first one is Luke's. Yeah, and you learn pretty quickly that it's like the year twenty six hundred or something like that. Yeah, the first one is like twenty one or twenty two. I thought. I think it's like I five or six years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one thing that we'll probably fuck up in the retelling of this is that it, you learn the backstory of the cataclysm. But you don't learn Gradually. it. Yeah, you, it, you only get the full picture towards the very end of the third section. But we'll probably not reveal it that way because that would, you know, be smart. But you can kind of guess. Yeah, well, you, you, don't, you, they don't you talk about very things. much. You, don't you, know. you know, yeah, you know that the world has ended because of a nuclear bomb or bombs being uh, shelled on cities or whatever. But um, the other thing that's important is after the war happened, there was a huge backlash against the intelligentsia of society. All science and technology and anything related. It was like just total burning, destroying of knowledge. Yeah, for and, years. And like murder of scientists and that's why it's the Middle Ages mm-hmm. because nobody wants to have, nobody wanted to repeat the war because how many hundreds of millions of people were obliterated and then there's also now millions of people, or not millions, but many people that are mutants from the radioactive fallout mm-hmm. or whatever that they, you know, people the, with two heads and the shit. children like of God. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks God. <laughs> and they're, the, mon- the monastic order is the order of whatever brother Leibowitz, uh, who was a like, engineer, like mm-hmm. a, a pretty yeah. low-level engineer actually. Yep. Who just happened to get involved with the book-legging business of preserving knowledge, and was martyred for it. And so then, the so so that him. you gradually figure that out. You don't yeah. know that right away. All you know in the beginning is that the main character he's uh, he's not even a monk. He's a seventeen-year-old, a, no, a novice, a yeah. novice. He's a, a beginner. He's a he's a very you know teenage beginner, and he's doing his whatever the thing is where you go out by yourself for a while, masturbating. D- <laughs> he's, he's he's what seventeen? Of course he's masturbating. Yeah, he's in the <laughs> desert. He can't eat or talk. He's on a retreat or something. Or, uh, well, he's, he's doing, fat, he's he's doing he's, like penance, or, or he's doing like a... He's doing a Lent fast. Yeah, he can't eat. Or it's like oh. a find yourself, find your true calling, find God kind of thing. But it's, like, they're in, it's like an asceticism kind but of thing. But they're in yeah. Utah. Like, they're in... The whole thing takes Which place actually... it looks exactly the same pre- and post-apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I just went to Utah this year. It really is definitely very desolate. I mean, it's, you know, very nice, but it's definitely desolate. Uh, anyway, so he's out in the middle of the, uh, in the, middle of the desert. And he's just wandering around, and then he sees this weird old, like, hobo-looking dude just walking out of nowhere, and in the middle of the day in Utah, that's just, you know, craziness. Everyone's so pale. (laughs) Yeah. And then the weird hobo dude tells him, like, it helps him find a stone. 
and well, tells him, oh, go look over there, or I'm going to go make find a mark a stone on the rock that can you fit in the little hut he's built for himself to stay out of the sun. And he said, oh, I found the perfect stone that'll fill the hole you have in this hut. Well, if he, he pisses, like, the kid starts ignoring, what's his name, Brother Francis? Brother Francis. Uh, Francis is like, I can't talk to you, and, like, the other guy's, like, a tr- he's annoying, and he asks questions, and he challenges the stuff the guy says. And he's like, I'm just going to go back to stacking my rocks over here. And he's like, I'll find... He, you know, he does something nice for the guy. Like, he gives him a sip of water or something like that, or he tells him to where the monastery is or something like that. He sends them to the monastery, so they said they'll, they'll give you food and water. Oh, yeah. Right, because the kid thought he was a pilgrim. Thought he was there to, you know, worship at the feet of Leibowitz. And then the guy's like, I'll find, he, let me find you that rock. Here it is. And he leaves it, and he walks away, and then the kid finds the rock. So he finds a rock, and then next to the rock, he finds, and there's like a little rock slide or something like that, a little cave-in. There's and an then opening, yeah. An opening, and inside he finds what we know as readers is a basically a bunker, like a doomsday bunker that has basically been closed and shut for 600 years. And it's kind of funny, he says things like, you know, I could read the sign in my very basic ancient English. Right. Because, you know, they study ancient English like, you know, we study Latin. You know, it's just the language of the of the old dead people that nobody uses anymore. He opens it. He, he finds the thing and he like opens the door or finds like a toolbox. And then oh, he also finds a skull with like a, you know, gold tooth in it. But then he finds a toolbox. He opens the toolbox and he finds some papers and any papers or relics from before the deluge mm-hmm. is what it's called. Was it the deluge of fire? Yeah, they call it so the Holocaust it, at times too. They have a lot of names for. Yep, uh, and is like priceless because it can it contains knowledge from you know the the cool time. And, and everyone recognizes that in those the the previous civilization was amazing. Yeah, and what they were able to accomplish, and they it that all that knowledge is lost. You know, when the ruins the ruins of the cities and the buildings are still there, they're just not functional anymore. And we'll talk about why that's important a little bit later. But anyway, so he finds in the toolbox a basically a manual. Or or some like papers, a schematic, a schematic. It's like something. a blueprint or a wiring diagram, and it's signed by, you know, what is it? E. I. Leibowitz. I. Leibowitz, I think, right? Uh, Isaac, something. Yeah. Edward, Edward Isaac. Edward mm. I, E. Yeah. E, so it's signed by Leibowitz. E. I. O. <laughs> and so this is literally so to him, to Brother Francis, or you know, you know, uh, novice Francis. This is like finding. This is like, you know, finding the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is like a piece of the true cross. Yeah, this is like (laughs) finding a piece of, you know, piece of the Bible. I was here, Jesus. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is, in fact, more writing than we actually have from Jesus, by the way, because there is none. He spent most of his time making wine. We have all this coloring books, though. (laughs) Speaking of beverages, I'm going to open this next one. Yeah, definitely. Let's go on a magic journey. This is number eight from West of Letterin. Um, This one is... 8% 8% alcohol. Look at that. surprising. It's the blue cap one. There are no labels on the bottles. That is not because I had to take them off to boof them back into the States. They <laughs> just paper cuts. They just don't have a label. The bottle, though, the bottle does say Trappist on it. Or Trappist you beer. You have to put the caps back on them to tell them apart. Oh. So it's just, it's, all it tells you is uh, shit in another language. But it says beer. Then it says Gustamout. But I don't know what that is. I'm sh- I'm Gustamout. I don't know if that's Belgian, French or something. Flemish. In Bivat. I don't know what any of that means. Phlegm. I don't want phlegm in this. That's disgusting. That's how they make it creamy. <laughs> so this is a brown ale thing. It's super foamy. Like a very dense, fluffy mm-hmm. head out of that. Tasty kind of caramel flavors to it. Yeah, caramel. Definitely sweet. You it's can taste that it has sweet. some alcohol in it, though. Whereas the other one, you couldn't really. We didn't really talk about the other one, the blonde ale, though, but it was pretty just dry. And pretty tasted generic. Like, yeah. Little hints of... 
green and stuff. Hints of monk. Yeah, real monk, real bits of monks. You know, it's good. So this is neither of these, by the way, is the greatest one. That's the last one, but we'll work our way up to that. Got to earn it. But I had to have the whole set. I went to like four different places in in Brussels to find it, and then realized that just about every fucking store sells this beer. Like the legends of how hard it is to get. If you go to Brussels, you don't have to go schlep over to the monastery. There's a whole industry of people reselling this beer. In fact, I went to two breweries in Belgium while I was there, and it was harder to find their beer than it was to find this beer. <laughs> and one of, those, one of those was actually a very famous brewery. Cantillon is a really famous sour, funky beer maker. Didn't care for much of that. Didn't see much of their beer, but I saw this shit in every... They just make a bunch of sour beers? It's all wild. Wow. We went on the tour, and like, they're like, yeah, we don't clean those cobwebs. Those are just there, because that helps get the flavor that we want. It's like, ew. Yeah, gross. This is not up to code. Yeah. The toolbox is important um, because it looks like it has these relics. Though the guy, the guy himself, he doesn't actually really jump to too strong a conclusions no. of a conclusion. He just brings it back and he tells some of the other novices and the other monks and then they, they put it together and they're like, oh my goodness, it could be from, the Le- from, from Leibowitz himself, St. Leibowitz, who isn't a saint yet. And they keep getting corrected because the, uh, the, the primate, the head of the abbey, he... Mm-hmm. The abbot. Abbot, he's like him and Costello. Are like, <laughs> that's not uh, shut the fuck up, don't ruin this for us. They're if like, the, uh, who's on first? <laughs> if New Rome, which is like Missouri, wherever the fuck New Rome is, I don't know if you ever find out. Just, uh, if, I, I, it was kind of a mystery, yeah. They never, they never say where never New really Rome saying. is, but it's, it's in clearly in the continental United States, yeah, because they have no telephones or boats. I uh, have boats, small ones, but they are like, so who, what, what happened? Oh, and the rock that the guy placed. By that spot, had the letters, uh, had Hebrew letters. Like, there is no I in Hebrew, right? There are no vowels. Are they communists? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the Jews yeah. very strongly there, believe there, in I. There are no vowels. <laughs> there are no vowels. Yeah. So it said two letters, and in the book, it had like a weird, shitty drawing of them. And they're like, those are the letters for something. Lambda or whatever the fuck the letter is. Well, the second one was an L, so maybe it was Leibowitz. Yeah, it's like was something he, like that. Was he Leibowitz? Was this like a miracle? Was this a vision from the Saint Leibowitz, soon to be saint, and a miracle that we could send to the church to to beatify him? Well, he just was beatified. He was the beatus. He had beatus as meetus. Oh, beatus is first. <laughs> <laughs> so he was. It's sort of like he was up for becoming a saint. He was on but the short they list. Weren't, yeah, exactly. He was on the short list <laughs> for sainthood, but he hadn't been. He, he hadn't been, been confirmed. Exactly. There's a weird process. So nowadays, it's actually kind of quick to become a saint. Like something like JP two, uh, he he cured someone's cold, and he's now a saint. He canonized more saints than like he had single handedly doubled the amount of saints. Really? Some, or close to it? Like a ridiculous amount of people became saints because I think the church got rid of the position of devil's advocate, like the person who would argue against it. Mm. The so, downer. The person who's like, maybe that was just some really good water they drank. You know, like, that it wasn't, or maybe... Maybe they just got better. Yeah. Maybe they never had cancer, and it was a cold. You know, like, <laughs> or, you know, maybe the toast just kind of looked like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> they beatified the toaster. So those, um, those the, the, the devil's advocate position doesn't exist anymore, because Christopher Hitchens argued against it, against Mother Teresa becoming a saint. Mm-hmm. But they, he said he had to do it pro bono because they no longer had that position. He just had to volunteer to be like, let me tell you why that's some bullshit. Did they saint her? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
but the things that she did to become a saint are ridiculous. Like one of her miracles is they were filming a documentary in her uh, house of the dying in India, and they it was dark in there and they didn't use good lighting, but the film is lit up really well. This documentary they filmed in like the seventies, so it should have been dark, but like the Lord lit that shit up. Oh, but okay. the cameraman was like, actually, I just used this new film from Kodak that fucking can work in low light, it's low light, low light film. And then I, <laughs> the Lord made that film. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, Leonard Kodak, Kodak did. <laughs> the Lord Eastman Kodak. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're they're worried. The abbot is worried that if word gets out that they think that they're seeing the the reincarnation yeah. or the apparition. That they're going to be like, fuck this stupid Abby. He'll never be a saint now because the church is punitive in weird ways. It could be true. I don't know. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, so, then, so then he punishes that fucking Francis guy for seven years. Yeah. And so he, yeah, the guy, the guy gets punished. Um, okay. I think we should talk about so why, okay, how this science fiction book is actually about history. And because hmm. uh, the one, the thing that, I mean, we could talk about this at the end, but I think we should just talk about, talk about it all the way through because like each section is kind of about its own historical, historical period. So this part of the book, even though it's the Middle Ages, it's, it, it's, it's a Middle Ages feel, but it's, he's really talking about the actual Middle Ages and how they felt about the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in, around Rome and the cities in, cities in Italy and around the Roman Empire where by 600, 800 A.D., you know, the Romans had already been gone for hundreds of years. Many of the buildings had been fallen down or been dismantled, like the uh, Colosseum taken apart to just build people's houses and stuff. And Rome a lot- definitely felt, definitely 476, definitely 476. I think there isn't a specific year. That's you the can date say, the last emperor, Romulus Augustulus, is uh, deposed. And he wasn't he like 12? Yeah. But, and then he got like stabbed. But his names are kind of important, right? He's Romulus is the first king of Rome and Augustus is the first emperor, but Augustulus means little Augustus. So it's kind of a strange, interesting uh, thing there. Okay, right. But uh, Augustulus is a really disgusting name. Well, it's, it's little, it's like little, little Gus. It, it just sounds like pustulus. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> That's how like most Latin words kind of rhyme. Yeah. So in the middle, if you had lived in the Middle Ages around the city of Rome, you know, which was, of course, very religious, or the other Italian city-states, you would have seen all of this Roman building, and you would have had an idea or an inkling that Romans knew how to do some cool stuff. Like, all that stuff that the Romans built could not have been built in 800 AD because people just didn't know how anymore. They forgot. They, they literally, like, after Rome fell, whenever, you know, that really happened, that Rome ceased to exist as an entity, it was like a century until people rediscovered how to make concrete. No, it's not a century. It was probably a lot more than that. But like for over a hundred years, this like staple product of Rome that they used to build all the shit, nobody knew how it was made, so they couldn't. They like, there's no. How could you possibly build a structure so large or you know so broad or whatever without that this thing? We don't know how to make that thing. And that's basically what's happening to the people in Leibowitz. In this time. book, yeah, you can the ruins of. Uh, the, so there are ruins of all the buildings from the 20th century. They're around, or at least, and even he even says that pieces of the Leibowitz Abbey are clearly built from stones or probably cinder blocks, you know, taken from 20th century houses. And it just seems amazing, all the stuff. This, uh, there's another line about how if you just clear away the dust, you can still find the paved roads, except they didn't call it paved roads because they didn't know what to call it, but you could still find... You can still find all the metal lying around. You look either all the inside steel, steel beams inside the walls. Yeah, exactly. You can still find those things if you really looked for them. Uh, and but it just those are just like magic to people 
to the middle ages of a canticle for Leibowitz because it was too amazing. They didn't know how to make it. And they were dumb. And that's why science fiction authors are very much, they read a lot of history books because really they're kind of talking about history at the same time that they're talking about the future. Definitely. I mean, the the Roman examples, like I think of like the Colosseum was used as like a fucking shelter for people at times and then like a place for feeding animals. Like it was Mm -hmm. a derelict piece of garbage and all of the marble was stripped out of it within, you know, a century or two. And some of the other, like the Forum, none of that exists, really. I mean, very little of it exists. The Forum is basically just a bunch of rocks in a field now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty shitty. It's like the least, the least exciting part of visiting Rome. That and I'm riding in a Fiat. It. Riding in a Fiat is scary. Because Roman roads are fucking wild. And traffic laws are more like traffic suggestions. Because you, like, you, don't, you don't have to stop at that stoplight. It's just a suggestion. Yeah, like, for the place where, you know, Mussolini made the trains run on time, they can't even get the fucking cars to stop at the light. <laughs> they, have, they have come a long way. So, it was, does that apply to the other parts of the book, too? Does that apply to the renaissance section, the science Well, clearly section? in the Renaissance section, he's, well, he's not, and not only is everything very much feel like an Italian city-state, like it was in the actual Renaissance, but I thought that in the Renaissance, people were also trying to rediscover the sort of science of the Roman Empire. Sure. They were trying to find out the secrets of the Roman Empire. Of course, they thought the Romans knew how to, you know, turn lead into gold and all kinds of stuff like that. But in this book, he's literally learning how to do calculus. Like, that's what he wants all the, all the things for. He wants to learn math. And they remake a light bulb. But anyway, that's later in the book. So that's we'll, true. we'll get to that. So going back to the first section of the book, they find these things. And then a shit ton of time kind of passes where the abbot treats Francis like garbage and won't let him become a monk. Mm-hmm. But because Francis was like uh, sold to some sort of like slave dealer or something like that as a child, he's like, well, he can't ever leave. This is better than whatever I would be going to if I left here. Oh, I remember because he was technically sold into slavery as a boy. And because he ran away and escaped, he is technically still in property. Right. And so if he ever <laughs> get, if he ever goes back out into the like where the cannibals live, then he would just be eaten. <laughs> so he has to stay in the abbey, even though they won't let him be a monk. And over time, like Francis just does, he just goes along with it and he ages and eventually he gets to become a monk. And I guess it's because, uh, they figure all the stuff is real. Yeah. They, they figure out they, the church investigator comes and he's like, let me go look at this place. And the other thing that skull is important, but it was like 20 years later. Yeah. That well, they, he, it was like seven. I thought it's well, like seven for him to be a novice, but like over time, like, and then he spends nine years drawing the thing and yeah, then yeah. they send him away. So I think the, the first section takes place over like almost 20 years. Yeah. But just like the Catholic Church took decades to finally, you know, meet about stuff, you know, they'd have meetings about meetings about meetings to finally decide to do what to do about Martin Luther. And, you know, so with the church the or the new Rome, they spend decades talking about and trying to figure out what to do with this new, these new Leibowitz artifacts and trying to figure out if they're real or authentic. And literally like the Francis, he's like an old man. Yeah. He's older. I mean, old for their time, I guess. He, he seemed to be much older because he spent 15 years drawing the thing. Well, let's talk about the thing. So he, he eventually becomes a monk, and he gets his job working in the, like, scriptorium. Mm-hmm. And their job is to keep recopying. Oh, there's a name for the fucking... Illuminated manuscripts. No, I know that. But, like, the thing... They, they have a name for all the old papers, like the intelligence or something. I forget what they call it. They have a word that they refer to all of the old papers from before the fire. Not the relics? They are relics, but they have a name in the book for it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, he gets his job in the um, uh, scriptorium, recopying the memorabilia, the name that they have for all of the old shit from before time got fucked up big time. And they just copy over and over again these things, which are kind of funny because they're like a random pamphlet <laughs> or a page out of a high school algebra textbook. Mm-hmm. Like any, they really don't know what any of it means, but they know it's a. They're like little clues to explain why that civilization was so com- accomplished. And so they have these duties there, but the guys have free time at the end of their shift, essentially, that they go work on their own little pet projects. And Francis decides that he wants to recopy the uh, blueprint thing he found and make a really beautiful illuminated manuscript version of like a schematic for a toaster or whatever stupid thing it is <laughs> yeah. that he found. And people ask him, you know, well, what is, while he's working on it, they're like, well, what is this thing? And he's like, I have no idea. It's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah. I'm just going to make it beautiful. A fucking high school physics. He was talking about like how they... Resistance problem. You know, they were so rich back in the old days, they would color in all the not drawing with <laughs> blue because like, it's wow, they had just such expensive thing to waste. They just colored everything in reverse <laughs> and left the drawing in white. Yeah, it took him years to do it again. Like this takes forever. They, they, <laughs> they only they only discussed that in like the second section. The smart guy, the scholar, understands like, oh, maybe it's because they used shitty paper. And this yeah. was later on. They was like, oh no, it's just the, it's the other way around. It's <laughs> easier to do. It we that were way. stupid. Let's open this last monk beer. This is number twelve. This is at one point, or this was at one point, the greatest beer in the world, according to beer nerds. Much like Tony Shalhoub is the greatest detective in the world in his version of Monk. <laughs> sure <laughs> So I've, I have had this before uh, I had it two, uh, a year ago I went to a place in Denmark that randomly had It was actually a McKellar bottle shop They had this, and I was like, well, I have to buy that And uh, then I saw it again, I was like, let me see Let me give it another shot, maybe, uh, you know let me, let me just get Did some more information. Did you give another, another shot, like, you didn't think it was that great the first time, or? Well, just to see, like, maybe, you know Maybe I, I, I didn't get the right picture of it Like, I, my opinion of it if you, Is, of course, I don't think it's the greatest beer in the world but what do you guys think? It's a lot to live up to. It's pretty tough to live up to that. It's pretty good. How strong is it? Because um, it's a 12 taste, cap. This is, I don't think it actually is. It, 11 it's something? 10.2. Right. Mm. It's, it's pretty good. It's very sweet again. Yeah. Super sweet. Yeah, much it, like the last one. You do get some other little flavors in there, but mostly caramel is what I get. Yeah. Vanilla, perhaps. It's pretty good. I mean, I'm sure if you're like a super duper beer taster, you'll be like, oh, there's hints of fig and cardamom or whatever in there. But it just, just tastes like a sweet brown ale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is not. I don't understand why anyone great. would say it's the greatest beer in the world. I think it's all about the story, which we could appreciate at the New York Book Club. Is, I've heard b- b- beers with better stories. Not like they just sell it once a month. Like, okay, well, that's well, it's pretty also, hard. But... It's the last. It's one of the last of this dying breed of these monks that make their own beer to support their monastery. And it is the hardest one to get. And they resist modernization. And they resi- it's like it has a romantic feel to it. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Yeah, certainly. I, I, that, that's saying it's the best in the world is quite an elevation. Uh, saying any beer is the best in the world is pretty tough. I mean, so we've had 500 on the show, probably close to it. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's fine. By the time I, this episode comes out, it could be more. Yeah, right. Anyway, this beer is fine. It's great. Sure. It, it's pretty nice. It's good. I'll tell you, if I went I to like a... It. If I like it. Yeah, it's, it's very good. But if I went to a store and this was just like some random craft beer and it was $16 a bottle, I'd be like, man, that is a fucking ripoff. This is not that good. Just think, each one of these bottles is a good shingle for that roof. 
<laughs> it's nice. It's a good beer. It's cool to say that you tried it, mm-hmm. but I yeah. think the West Flutterin beers are really, really overrated. Now, there's lots of beers that are really hyped up, and anything that's very hyped up is always going to be disappointing to some degree, usually, especially when it's called the greatest beer in the world. But this is a huge bump in, you know, ranking. It's, it's almost like, do they only have brown ale in Europe? And therefore, if they only have brown ale, then you would go, well, okay, this is a good one. But Belgium is this like magical wonderland, wild west of It's like beer. the Willy Wonka's factory of beer. There's crazy beers there. Like beers that are fucking I red and like, taste like raspberry. Aside from waffles, it's the number one thing of the entire economy is based on. Mm. They don't even have a government still, do they? <laughs> they did almost have a, like, they did almost dissolve into two countries a few years ago. Well, they, they, they went a, wh- a while, like a few years without like a functioning government. But they kept making beer. Somewhat like the United States, I would say. Mm. Ooh. Burn. Politics. Nate trying to be topical. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm sure that will still be topical whenever yeah. this comes out. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we didn't record this that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to get the wrong impression. Many years ago into the future, past. <laughs> All right, so we had the monk beers. They're kind of meh. They're fine. We, we could, the we last should... one's definitely the best one. It is the best one. The blonde one was definitely the crappiest. That's the one I, I've tried the blue and the gold before, and I thought, that, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's not that I, I thought the blonde one was very drinkable. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would drink some more of it. But for but, $12 but, a bottle, you could suck my dick. Maybe it did, and you just messed up. You didn't know. Like there was a coupon that came with it. <laughs> Listen, <let me laughs> Maybe that was on the label. <laughs> Maybe that's how the monks also support the roof proceeds when oh. they're out of beer. But anyway, I think they're overrated. He'll show you his day. Oh, gracias face. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Oh, Lord. Uh, so, they're okay, overrated. Okay, we have a beers. lot we more do. beers. So, I think we should just move right on to another beer. Oh, it's a miracle. More beer. <laughs> Huzzah. This Praise is, Leibowitz. Someone else brought this? I brought that. I don't remember what it's called. It's far away. It's something about Armageddon. It's got a long name. <laughs> it's like On the Wings of Armageddon. I think that's exactly what it's called. That is correct. It is called On the Wings of Armageddon Imperial IPA. By DC Brow. I can't fucking. Is it yeah, sweat? A DC Brow. It's like a brow from DC. Yeah, brow. Double IPA. I think it's strong. It's like 9%. an imperial IPA. We have discussed on this very podcast. Those terms are interchangeable, my friend. Are they? Yeah. Okay. They're totally meaning. I mean, they don't. Mean, they mean something, but but there is no distinction between the two. I thought imperial was an alcohol percentage thing. Not in terms. Of, not in any legal sense. Oh, okay. Just means strong. Yep. Oh, it's nine point two percent. That's like Armageddon. Woohoo! Is there a story here about what kind of hops we have that are going to unleash a del- deluge? And so of it was written. According to mine and Hopi calendars, the transition from one world to one world age to another will happen on December twenty first, twenty twelve. As an homage to the transition, DC Brow has concocted an imperial IPA named On the Wings of Armageddon. That's that's it. Oh, all right. Well, serve in your favorite glass or enjoy from the can. I feel like there's, there's, good, no, there's no middle ground there. You have to use your mm-hmm. favorite glass or the can, but not like a regular glass. Don't pour it into your hands <laughs> and lap it up. <laughs> it's hard to pour it into both hands when you have your third hand. Yeah. Well, if you're one of the mutants from uh, Leowitz, you could do that. You could. It smells, it smells quite nice. Yeah, it's nice. It you does have a little bit of a strong um, alcohol-y kind of smell to mm-hmm. it, or flavor to it, I should say. It's not bad. It's not usually my thing, but it's, it's a, the aftertaste is pretty bitter. Yeah, it's a little I more bitter. I guess you have to keep drinking it. As long as you never stop drinking, it'll be good. That's how I've been treating my alcoholism. <laughs> well, that, that you, you can't get hung over if you never get sober. <laughs> that's what the IV is for. The uh, 
Yeah, this is more like a traditional IPA thing, like a more bitter than the juicy thing that's been popular these days. Well, they are preparing for the transition from one, one era to another. Over there, too. So, you know, this is the end of this era, and the new era of IPAs is upon us. Did you just make that shit up? I did. But that's it sounds, pr- sounds pretty good, doesn't sounds it? Possible. Yeah. That Praise Leibowitz. That sounds pretty good. All right. So the first section, there's not much more actually, right? Like I he mean, spends a long. There is a lot of okay. detail. There's a go lot of detail, but basically it goes like he spends 15 years making an illuminated manuscript version of this like very basic wiring diagram right. that could be of a toaster, and they have no idea what it's actually for. And then I like to believe he, it's a And then after like 20 <laughs> years of the like New Rome, you know, church investigation, they decide to make St. Leibowitz into a saint. They decide, decide to go for it, and they ask, and because Francis, who's now kind of an old man at this point, they ask him to travel to New Rome. They ask him to travel to New Rome to deliver the, deliver the manuscript. And to his, Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah, New Rome. <laughs> Which is quite, could have been, for sure. Um, I feel to, like it's in Texas. I feel like Texas gets mentioned a lot later yeah, in the Texarkana. book. Texarkana. Texarkana, Texarkana. Yeah. Texarkana is like the new, what used to be like Texas and Arkansas, I think. It's like that area of yeah. the United States, mm-hmm. but it's its own country. Yeah. But it's a way cooler name than either of those. It's like the Transformer of Regents. It's, like, it's more uh, like the Voltron. Vol- yeah, it's better. Yeah. <laughs> it's a more Voltron-y. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he gets asked to go deliver it to Rome, but he has to go by himself. I don't know exactly know why. And he gets basically captured by the weird mutant cannibal people, and they decide to... They, he, they don't kill him but yet, but they do decide to steal the, to steal the diagram. They steal, However, they steal both at first. Well, they steal both, but they but they think the old shitty one. They think the new golden one that he made. That's the original because I mean it does look cooler. Well, they don't even know that they're copies, or they do know one's a copy. Do, he, know, he knows when he's like because he says you spent this long making it. That's fucking stupid. Right. But of course, <laughs> they're thinking that the original was the nice looking one, and that the shitty looking one was just the bad copy. Whereas real in reality, they give um, uh, they give Francis back the old shitty one. And he brings it to New Rome, and then they do the whole ceremony, and then it's like, yeah, turns out he actually got the real one. But they stole the one he spent 15 years working on. Which leads to another beer. Oh, shit. Which the title came out pretty good, I thought. Yeah, so he goes to the new pope, and he's like, Pope Pius the 409th, or whatever his name is. He has a name, but I don't remember what it is. Um, And he's... Is it Leonard? Pope Leonard Nimoy. Pope Leonard Lee. Oh, no. (laughs) He goes to the pope, and the pope is like, oh... You, I heard you, you know, got mugged by some hills have eyes people, and he's like, "Yes, they wanted you know two was it like two he, gold he, he clots or something like some weird unit they made up of gold for the thing that I made." He's like, "You know what? That's cool. Here's some gold, kid." But this beer is called. This beer is called Art is anything you can get away with, and, and by Evil Twin. And how does it work? Uh, because the guy stole his art and got away with it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's strange. I know they were going for a different vibe with this title, but that was really on point. <laughs> Very. <laughs> this, this is a double dry hopped IPA. I think in the 7% range, and they really don't give you much more. 7%. Which is like the Rebrew series or something like that. Erase and Rewind, number 25. Who the fuck knows what that means? The fact that this brewery can have a series where they're up to number 25, and I'm pretty sure we've never seen 1 to 24 I don't even know. Tells you how many beers. Well, there's a rewind. Makes. There's like a rewind symbol on it. Yes. So I guess that's a series. I don't know how any of this shit works. Well, I wonder if they're rebrews of older beers or revamped versions of older beers. I mean, there must be rewinding. some something like that, but who the fuck knows? I'm sure that there's some sort of exhaustive, like Wikipedia of only Evil Twin beers or something. There's some there's some fucking super liberal college where someone's writing a dissertation on that. Like, <laughs> 
Hampshire. The phenomenology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's Hampshire. laughs> well, that is not the first mention of that on this podcast. <laughs> no. The phenomenology of evil twin brewing names, a new approach. Isn't that where your skin, your skull has bumps? Yes. <laughs> it's only then that your skin, your skull has bumps. This has, this is a little more like the new school IPA thing, the mm-hmm. super dry hopped, much more smell focused than bitter focused. I like this one much better. Me too. There's something, uh, there's something different about it. I can't describe it though. Different in like from what we had before, or yeah, like from, in especially general. from the last, just like regular IPA, but also different from a regular New England IPA. Which, well, it's not quite a New England IPA. It's just a double, juicy. doubly dry hopped one. Well, it's definitely very cloudy, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't it's call itself of, that, but it's probably essentially the same thing. You know, I was just thinking, what an amazing move brewers have made, where they no longer have to spend that time, money, and energy to filter their beer, and it's now an improvement, right? I mean, I don't... Capitalism. I, I guess it's just, they do it only for looks? No, because actually, there is a difference in flavor and smell, because you, when you're filtering out material, you're definitely taking some of the smell and flavor I like, with it. I like this way, because it feels like I'm drinking a thousand million little bugs. <laughs> I like that it's like I'm drinking un, unfiltered, straight from the beer teat. You know, just... <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice raw, raw beer. <laughs> Government's not getting in the way telling me I can't have raw beer. Yes. Gary Johnson, 2020. Ron Paul. Uh, Ron Paul. Ron Paul, 26,000. <laughs> yes, that's his <laughs> robot name. <laughs> the newest model of Ron Paul. <laughs> I dig this a lot. That's pretty good. Evil Twin makes some fucking dank IPAs. And I'm not saying dank in the internet sense now, where dank just means like cool, apparently. Isn't that the plu perfect of think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I believe it's like he had, uh, he had thunk it. <laughs> I still don't know what the fuck the plu perfect tense is. It's the past of the past. He had thunk. But isn't he that just thunk. past perfect? I guess blue perfect. I mean, I only know the names of these tenses from other languages because you don't learn grammar, English grammar, in school. Nobody teaches that shit anymore. Yeah. That's why we're number four hundredth in the country in the world in English grammar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Finnish students know better English grammar than American students, probably. Both of them. Oh, those those happy happy Nordic people. Are Finns Nordic? The They're things. different. Uh, well, they are like a different They're a ethnic fin- and, Finnish, and linguistic group. Ergic or something, right? Yeah, it's like the same crazy language group that has like Hungarian in it or something like that. Yeah. They're those, like those languages that mean nothing. They're their own thing. To me. <laughs> they're snow people, though. Yeah, and they're super blonde and tall, fair bastards who've embraced socialism. I don't know much about them. I just know they have that. Uh, they really like metal. They love them. They love them so well, much. Like, it's, 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 like metal bands per capita in Finland is like so high. It's, it's, it's like only like super dark metal and jazz. Like really like hard it. jazz and like death metal. It's very like straight weird. Straight bop and then fucking anal cunt. No, harder than anal cunt. Anal cunt, if you don't know, is a, a great grindcore band. Grindcore. That, that's the, that is the worst music ever. No, they're better than Shags. It's true. They're better, I was, they're better than uh, Dua Lipa? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes I was listening to Super Tramp the other day, speaking of terrible bands, and I was like, I fucking like Super Tramp. You know, it's like 70s kind I've of stuff. I heard the name stuff. a lot, but I couldn't tell you what this And I was did. Googling, like, oh, I was trying to Google or look on YouTube, rather, for Super Tramp song I couldn't remember the name of, and one of the things that came up is the anal cunt song, Super Tramp is Gay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I guess I'm not supposed to like this now. <laughs> Are they as gay as Tim? That's another thing. Tim is gay. <laughs> oh, anal cunt. So, uh, so he sends and, him on his way with the gold. Yeah, and he's like, sweet. This is awesome. because This is going to go well. Yeah, and then he sees the uh, guys down the hill, like down down a hill or up a hill or something, like down the, down the road. He's like, oh, no, something bad's going to happen. 
and then he just gets fucking straight murked. Like gets shot in the face, crossbow bolt right to the face. Yeah, and the, and the person who does it, he's like a mutant, and he just keeps saying like eat meat. He's saying eat. Eat, he's like, eat, eat. He's like eat, Lenny eat. from. A I thought someone shot him, and like I thought the one who was saying eat was like a weird little one, like one without rabbits. I thought I got that. I mean, I don't know if they described him too well, or maybe I'm not remembering. I thought it was like a big doofy oafish guy. Meat, uh, uh, eat, eat, and then the, the the leader guy's like, "No, not eat yet. Eat later." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then they eat him, and that's the end of section one. So before I, we talk I was about very section confused two, about that, like I was like, "Holy shit! They just next, killed yeah. off the main character. What's going on?" Yeah. But, before weird. we talk about section two, I just want to point out some of the really interesting. Okay, so this is a really interesting book because it's about the Cold War and it's about the danger of. New, mutually assured destruction and nuclear annihilation and just the way in especially in this first part he describes from 600 years in the future in the of the middle ages what trying to figure out what exactly happened to the people 600 years ago and he says some really interesting things like they have one i just wrote this down a prayer called something about like oh from the fall of the cesium oh lord and then, you know, cesium is one of those uh, okay. radioactive isotopes that you get in a nuclear nuclear bomb explosion that, you know, causes a lot of cancer. And then he also describes, you know, I've never, I've, I've never seen a good description of the fallout demon before, but the ancients right. wrote about it many times. There's a part when he finds the uh, fallout shelter, and when Francis finds the fallout shelter, and he sees the word fallout, and he knows that's like a demon. Yeah. But he's like, is the demon here? Like, he doesn't... Did really... they trap the demon here, or is this to keep yeah. them from getting attacked by the demon? Yeah, they don't understand how it works. Shelter from or for fallout? It's a very mid- Middle Ages kind of mm-hmm. stereotype. Like, not understanding. Trying to things. understand nuclear weapons, yeah. And there's another... Uh, one one kind of other funny thing is that there was some somebody... This is somebody Francis was talking about, like, found what we know to be an underground ICBM, like intercontinental ballistic missile, like silo, and it went off. And right. all he knows is there's a lake there now, and no one, yeah. and then if, and then it's, it's, you know, very firmly said by the religion, if you find one of these, stay away. That's just like all it says. Like, we don't know what happened, but definitely stay away. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. There's a that lake happens, there yeah. now. A nice reflecting pond. <laughs> and the guy was obliterated a lot more than a pond i think yeah it would have been much bigger than that but anyway i just thought those details about how you know because the book is really a warning about nuclear weapons i thought those things were clever because reading them as a grown-up who knows a lot about history it's like ah very smart i like the way that's going there but we were talking to superfan eli and he said he hated this book Mm -hmm. because he read it in high school and i can understand without having an appreciation for a lot of that stuff, this book would just seem stupid and boring. I and kind of slow. I did yeah. not hate this book, but I did not love it either. I like a lot of sci-fi. I, I, I got where it was coming from, but I, it just didn't do it for me. Too. I mean, I, I got what they were doing for, and I could appreciate that, but I don't know. It seemed like a lot more about... I mean, it's a very loose definition of sci-fi. It seems, it seems like a lot of, like, life as a monk. Well, yeah, but... There was allusions to a lot of things. If we go by Nate's definition of sci-fi, this is hard sci-fi. When he said, Frank, sci-fi has to speak about science and warn about it. This does it more than anything else. And, and its effect on society. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I guess it is sci-fi. The fact that it's post-apocalyptic kind of makes it in the sci-fi genre. Which, you know, dystopian usually kind of goes hand in hand with that. Mm-hmm. But this isn't really about that. You know, this isn't like it's not dystopian. Brave it's, New World. Yeah. It's but, like shit's fucked up. But it is definitely about science. But in a weird future but also history kind of way yeah it was i, I got that i just i uh, will agree the, that the plot is kind of slow 
it's pretty it's slow. Not a lot really happens. And I thought the third segment was pretty dumb. Well, let's get to that. Let's start with let's the, get to the second, second section, segment. which takes place like 500 years later or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it's basically they're on the verge of another... It's like it's kind of a composite of the Renaissance and the Scientific Revolution. It's a yeah. re-Renaissance. Yes. Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what they, I think they call mm-hmm. it. That's the name of the section. I think they should. This is this is Fiat Homo, the second section of the book. Renaissance would be a great name for a gay bar. I don't know why. Renaissance. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but the ass is in a different color. <laughs> Men ass ants. Ooh. See what's happening over there. Feeling a classical tingling in my loins. <laughs> <clears throat> so the second, the middle section of the book is definitely, you know, takes place, you know, hundreds of years later and with completely different characters and everything. But it is modeled on the Renaissance as if it was happening. And everything, it sounds like Italian city-states, except they're not in Italy. They're definitely in North America. It's still they're, largely they're, Utah. It's yeah, still at still, the Abbey. It's still in, you know, the main action still takes place at the Abbey in Utah or in the town that grew up around the Abbey in Utah, the Leibowitz Abbey. And the main conflict has to do this with this one dude who's a scholar, and he just, all he wants is, I mean, he's a jerk about it, but all he wants is to, like, read all their documents, you know, to have access to all the church documents. Well, he's one of the leading scholars of this time. What the fuck is his name? like, something with TH it starts with. Thon? Thon Thon was his title. Yeah, but I don't know. They never say what a Thon is, do they? No, it's a made-up title. It's like the it's, it's like, like you Cisco, know. the Thon song. Yes. And they Thon the Thon Thon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants to just read all the shit because he's actually rediscovered some important crap. Like he's like, I understand what optics is now. You know, but he's he's there a are legit, colors. He's a legit like math genius. He just, you know, no one knows what the fuck most of it is now, but he's like trying to rediscover everything and he wants to learn more about what they knew and fill in the blanks and shit. But he's also in, uh, he has like weird power, like his brother or no, his father He's the, or he's the bastard child of the Of a king. warlord guy. Of a Thon king. Tadio Fartentot. Oh yeah, Fartentot. <laughs> also that's Fartentot. That's Don, that's Don Daddio. That's pretty good. He's the, the Don Daddio who farts on tots? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were into some weird stuff with kids at the monastery, but farting on the kids is fucked up. That's just to humiliate them afterwards. <laughs> Anyway, the, there's some stinks. there's some of the plot is about how you know the leader of one city state they're like about to start a war with a different state city state. I think it's like he's the like, leader of he's playing Laredo. them off, he's yeah, like playing a, off each other, trying to like weaken everyone so he can then take over. He's sending he's sending basically what are the equivalent of like the Visigoths or some shit at them or like the Mongol hordes, the nomad people of the forests who drink blood and eat each other. Oh, and, and they wear yeah. like bear skins and shit yeah, like that, stuff like that. So he's sending them to like making backroom deals with them to, so that they'll fuck up the other guys and they'll waken, waken them so he can then take over and be king of the whole world. It's very much the like Midwest. Renaissance Florence and the, you know, the Medici and their backstabbing you know, against the other, other families. You know, it feels like that. Uh, but there's also the part where they, 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 they make a light bulb. Like they figure out the, all the technology to well, make the, a generator. The monks, the monks at the Abbey figure out light bulbs. Yeah, but they have a really shit light bulb. They have like they have like a Rube Goldberg machine that lights yeah. up one sad yeah. bulb. It, it, it mousetrap works. <laughs> and they they even call it a uh, the dynamo. They call it a dynamo, which is technically what what uh, that's what Edison, Edison called, called it, the yeah. shit. Yeah, and that made it, a dynamo. See, it right. powers. It makes a really shitty light bulb, but it was still better than a candle. But yeah, it's I mean, worked it, by like two monks on a gerbil wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're literally monks, four monks working to make a light bulb. 
and there's maybe steps. There's some really good symbolism in this section because when they want to put the light bulb up, they have to move the cross in the room. And half the monks are like, no, don't touch the fucking cross over there. That's Jesus's area. And like, but the cross would be the best place to put the light bulb so everyone can but see. But it, it shows that the conflict for these individuals and also the conflict sort of of the Renaissance in some ways, you could see it, is about religion versus science and progress. Jesus and like the, the struggle to balance the two. I thought that was an interesting kind of thing that happens. But they take down the cross and the guy's like, fuck it, put up your light bulb. Lay down your 17 feet of track you need to have this <laughs> yeah. treadmill for the novices. Like one of the little to... tiny mining carts with like a guy on each side. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty much what they had to like butter churn the light on is what they had to do. <laughs> and it works, but the Theothon, Tadio, uh, whatever Tadio. his name, the, uh, he, he, uh, Coolsville, Tadio. It's like, oh, that light, light bulb's the bee's knees. <laughs> he, it was he's the like, 50s. He gets there and he's like, holy shit, I have been outdone. Because all I've been studying is like... By these mouth breathers. I realized that, you know, you have to solve for X in algebra by reconstructing textbooks. And they made a goddamn light bulb. He's kind of jealous. He is jealous. Because he's a biatch. So this is a beer I brought today. This is exciting, actually. This is McKellar NYC's Bumpin' This Thread. It smells benevolent. It, <laughs> it wants to give itself to me. <laughs> this is a double dry hopped or something like that IPA, I forget which. But the much more interesting thing about this beer, frankly, is that McKellar NYC, a brew we've done some episodes there. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of their beers, or I've had a lot of their beers and a lot of hangovers from them. They just started selling kegs to the general public. Mm. This is the very first keg they sold. You were the first. I was the first. Do you get like a, your picture on the wall or something? No. I just so get to get one, drunk sooner than other people. So this was brewed at the one at City Field. Brewed at City Field. And they started selling ke- kegs and you got the very first one. I got the very f- first one of this, but of any keg they've sold. Were there other people there getting them? Or was no. It just you, there was I no line. Did you, you, like you first. You, you used our like, connections, right? I used our, our very, very tenuous connections <laughs> to get in. But it was so new. Like I was at the first, pretty damn new. The dude didn't know how to ring it up. He was like, "Hold <laughs> on, I, I ring I, up I gotta, ninety-seven beers." Shit, I gotta get the manager. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta ask for something. Which, not to say he was incompetent, but it was like it's because he was super helpful and nice. But he was like, "This is a new thing," which is exciting. And then he asked me, "Oh, so what's the occasion? Are you buying this keg for?" And I was like, "Because it's for me. It's Thursday." That's <laughs> what I said. And he's like, "Really? <laughs> like, you can do that? That's that's pretty badass." I was like, "Yeah, I'm an adult. I'm a fucking grown up, and I have." two kegerators at my home and I don't know I'm just, I suck at making beer so yeah so it's a uh, and you guys don't suck at making beer and it wasn't reason it was reasonably priced so I will be buying more in the future actually I didn't get it in time for today but I ordered a McKellar San Diego tap handle because McKellar NYC tap handles they don't sell them but it doesn't say San Diego you'll on get it. the first I'm sure it just says McKellar on it so I'm oh, like the, the handle Diego. yeah I always okay. buy a tap handle for the right. kegs I use that's fair so I bought I ordered. I had to get it off eBay. Some guy had one that was. It just said McKellar. I was like, "That's cool. That'll work." That counts for anyone from their breweries. I get, but it'll almost certainly only be these. <laughs> but yeah. So this is bumping this thread. So why bumping this thread? Because well, Jimmy, you actually made the connection better than I did. Uh, it comes from the olden times on the internet. You know, the <laughs> the mid aughts, maybe even the late nineties, uh, on internet forums, when you would post messages or. Topics, I guess. I don't know what the fuck they would be called. And then a new one would appear, and they would push the older ones down. And so if you wanted to resurrect, as they call it, an old thread, you would post in it, and it would bump it back to the top and resurrect an old 
story that people were writing about or something. Mm-hmm. And so, like this book, it jumps back, you know, every 500 years, like, oh, and we're going to get back to the story now. Let's go back. Bumping the thread. It also kind of does that with the technology aspect of human development, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, on a deeper level, yes. By the way, this is a thing that's dry hop. It's brewed with citra and galaxy. So those are like your typical juicy haze. It's pretty like milky. Almost. It is very, just like, looks like orange juice. Like a, like a yeah. really thick one. Yeah. Like, it doesn't taste thick, but like it unfiltered completely. Yeah, it looks like there's straight pulp in there, but it's just uh, froth from the, it's just the beer. I oh, think is, it un, is it unfiltered? It definitely has an unfiltered look to it. I mean, I, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this can't all be foam. It's... No, no, that's that's yeah. yeah. So it looks like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think it's really, really good. Very good, yeah. And I have a whole keg of it to myself. I poured you guys so little. That's all right. You enjoy it. If you die, we'll know why. It's not my first keg. I went through a whole keg of uh oh of this of this. It is your first keg. Yeah, but of okay. other things, of all other right. things. Oh no, I've had. I went through a whole keg of a eighteen percent alcohol beer. That's not good, Michael. I lived. <laughs> Did, Did you just barely? Did you? I mean, unless this is some sort of weird sixth sense fantasy where I died and then I started a podcast. You're in the you're in the bardo. <laughs> he was podcasting the whole time. <laughs> the podcast is coming from inside the house. Yeah, right. That's the saddest heaven. <laughs> he just he just makes a podcast. <laughs> Look at him there. He just keeps tweeting about it. Like, like anyone's gonna give a fuck. <laughs> oh wait, that is like real life. <laughs> Trinity. So at the monastery, the uh, daddy-o is pissed off. He's like, oh, fuck, these, these boy fuckers have invented a light bulb before me. <laughs> well, they Whoa, can fuck this, boys at night. This book came out in the 50s. They didn't talk about that yet. No, because their they mouths were filled with priest dick. I forgive you. <laughs> if you tell anyone, you're going to hell. <laughs> so the, uh, they make this shit. And then there's like all sorts of intrigue in this section. About the the warlord guy, whatever the fuck his name is, the Genghis Khan of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah there is a lot of intrigue in this section with the bear fucking bear grills, whatever his name is. He is the leader of the the warlord Mad Bear. Mad Bear, yeah, yeah. Mad Bear and Fury Road, and he's like trying to play all the groups against each other. And I didn't understand all that when I was reading it. I was kind of trying to read it fast because I, I read this book about five or six years ago, and I was rereading it for the podcast. And I was kind of skimming. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. Uh, you know, and then I was like, oh, wait, I don't remember this shit at all. It was, just it was like, kind of boring. It was the guy, the guy who, the Thons is the bastard child of the king. And now his stepbrother or half-brother like the, the actual son is, is, the, is the boss man son. now. And he's making shady deals with Mad Bear to go out and raid the other countries and weaken them and make them fight each other also and shit. So he basically trying to, he's trying to... Play everyone off each other so we can take over. But they have these machinations to turn the abbey into some sort of citadel. They want to take that over. Oh, yeah. And then they use this as a fortress. Mm. And that part I was like, nah, I don't really understand what's going on anymore. Because there's too many names that meant nothing to me. And I didn't remember them well enough. Yeah, and they're all ridiculous. But eventually the church, the guys there are like, we don't even need this light bulb anymore. It's really not that great. And they kind of get rid of it. And that's the end Meanwhile, of this. And then the war uh, thing Thon happens. Tadio is like rediscovering calculus. And he's, he's kind of rediscovered some stuff, and he finally managed to get into whatever the archive or something like that of New Rome and see some, see some like just fragments of some things that are just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. You know, I thought my math was great, but this is like so, so good. So, so advanced. And, and, um, there's and then it's like end of section. 
Well, well there's also the, the whole uh, the friendship between the abbot and the magic Jew. Yeah, the wandering Jew. That's what he is. Like he is he this... lives up on the hill. I think we shouldn't talk about this. No, no, seriously. <laughs> the wandering Jew is this like Christian myth of like, I forget exactly what the wandering Jew did, but he like didn't he's like immortal. praise Jesus and he's cursed to walk the earth. Ah, and okay. he's, he's, you know, allegedly immortal in this and he's the, he's the wandering Jew from the first part. Yeah, they, they, call, they identify him as a Jewish guy and he is streak, strikingly similar to the pilgrim from the first section of the book. Mm-hmm. And he keeps talking about how he's 3,200 years old. Yeah. And he has to, he's befriended the abbot and he's constantly like criticizing the abbot's decisions and like saying like, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm waiting for something. You know, I'm not going to, you know, the real Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. I really don't understand enough about the wandering Jew story, but that totally is what's happening. Hmm. For what? I didn't even know this story at all. You did not get to go to Sunday school, my friend. I did not. I didn't, I didn't know about the wandering Jew until I looked it up on this. Cause I looked up for some reason. I was like, oh, it's because I looked up the book and it says, oh, and there's this guy who is clearly the wandering Jew. I was like, that seems like an odd thing to call him. And click on it. And it's like, oh, it's a thing. There's also, fun fact, a house plant called the wandering Jew. What? It's just a nice, pretty plant. The wandering <laughs> Jew. And it bought, I had, we had one in the house and it wandered away. That, we <laughs> but we, we had that one. feels like a dated name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not cool. Like those, little, imagine, like those little Nazis out in the garden, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, don't call them that anymore. I can only imagine That's the earlier name of, like, with Wandering Jews, the sanitized name, <laughs> like what they called it a hundred years ago. Like, oh no! <laughs> ooh, not gonna. Ooh, don't want that one. That doesn't. I mean, that sounds bad. So yeah, this character uh, and he has a name, but Ben. Ben, you know, they picked the most kind of traditional Jewish name again because David was taken. Was he? I don't know, but the, Ben. <laughs> And Ben is... He's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. His old Ben lives out by himself. Dispenses yeah. wisdom. Yeah. That's what it is. And he, he still wears like a little Gandhi loincloth. And he just goes around and just like, that's a stupid idea. And, and he, he walks lost, away. he lost his magic goat in a bet. With the poet guy. Who is oh. another weird character who's just in there just to talk shit. Yeah, he doesn't really matter much. The poet guy. He's just a douche. There's he a lot of the weird very characters. end. I thought the... The very end is about the poet. I thought the middle section was the weakest part of the book, actually. Just because it felt so much like just a... The beginning and the end were the more uh, interesting parts. Yeah, it felt like I it thought, was like, the, oh, this is the third part. part was the worst part, but that's just mm, me. Well, let's have some beers to talk about that part. Let's do it. That hurts my hand. You have to use all your hands. This is called... Uh, I forgot already. Prophets and Nomads. It is a gosa, or ghost, ale brewed with Himalayan salt and coriander. You know, the more than one gosa is called a gaggle. <laughs> I think it's a pride. Pride of Gosa. Oh, well, that has, a, has a better ring to well, it. Actually, it'd be better if it had like a ghost pun, like a haunting of Gosa. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for goose. I know. Because that's fun to say. So we've had Gosas before. We've had a haunting of them or a gaggle of them. A shoal of Gosa. <laughs> and they're... A murder of Gosa. Yeah. <laughs> it's only 4.5%. That's the lightest thing by far we've had today. They're light. The salt is going to... Among ever. Um, we've had some of them in the four area. It's, it's on the lowest. The it's lowest on the low end. It's yeah. on the low end. Yeah, they're kind of tart. They could range from a little, a little puckery to like, holy shit, that's bunghole water, funk. It's like, oh, oh god, I'm licking the floor of a YMCA. Like it could be really funky. <laughs> the shower. I'm not talking. You guys always go there. I was I, no, I, I wasn't going any particular place. The YMCA. It's just that's a vivid image. <laughs> I mean, you have to be real macho, macho man to do that. <laughs> That's right, the village you know. people. They sang YMCA. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, right. I got it. I think I'm going for Randy Savage again. Oh. <laughs> so what do you guys think of this? It's, oh, it it's quite tart. 
Ooh. <laughs> it's oh it's my. pretty tart, but it's not tart in like a unsettling way. I could actually drink this, especially on a hot day. I could see this being really yeah. quite nice. The sea salt gives it a kind of, uh, I don't want to say thickness, but there's a different kind of body. And I, I normally these beers are pretty light and effervescent kind of thing. And there's a... It's girthier. It's like a sheen or something. There's like a, like a an extra layer of just physical depth to it, like when you take a sip. Yeah. Now, does it have to be Himalayan salt or just table salt? I don't really know. Uh, well, table salt isn't sea salt. No. Neither is Himalayan salt. Yeah. So it's neither. Is Shit. it sea salt? It says Himalayan salt. Oh, well, then that's Himalayan salt. But like, does, it, does that make the difference is my question, the Himalayan aspect of the salt? No, no salt. It's salt. It's N-A-C-L. Or is it like Tibetan and salt sorry. and China thinks it's actually their salt? Or India's fighting over whether it's theirs or not. Oh, India wants it now too? Well, India and China are fighting over who owns the Himalayas. And Nepal's like, hey, we're a thing. And everyone's like, shut up, Nepal. No, you're not. Your name sounds like Nipple. Yeah. <laughs> That's what our dear president called it. Go get tweaked. Well, if you just read it, I guess. I mean, he really did say that in the no, meeting. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Called the it Nipple? Yeah. yeah. He did. Yeah. Nice. What would he, what and, do you think he's going to call country, Bhutan? No, he called it, no, he called it Button. <laughs> same meeting, same meeting, nipple and Button. Those I'm were the two so countries. I'm so glad there was no meeting where he had to pronounce Niger. Oh, no, we went through that whole we phase already. Know. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. They, he, he didn't say it in public until they told him how. <laughs> he did call it a shithole country, though. It's like, are these countries just like, are these more ones like Djibouti? I like he probably booty. pronounced that one correctly. Djibouti? Guy's into the, he's into some Djibouti. So uh, this isn't a cool... Go so it's not overly fucking kicking you in the yeah it's the not teeth. overwhelming but it's it's not a uh, it's not boring either it's, it's a nice beer actually I'm, these are growing on me kind of uh, as they mellow out yeah but as, but, they, but as they swing back towards regular people can enjoy these but also could be an element that I've had so many more that I have I, a different I feel tolerance like, I feel like the crazy ones yeah. are still going to be pretty brutal I bet they would be for me but what I would consider a crazy one and not a crazy one is probably a moving target yeah. God damn you fucking with my mind beer in addition to my liver. <laughs> How many organs do you need? <laughs> All right, so did we finish that fucking stupid section? Yeah. yeah so that's basically it. Third section, the poet gets eaten at the end. Yeah. He like, runs away and he gets eaten or murdered. The end. Yeah. And his, his, someone has his eye. He lost his eye in a bet. And the, uh, the, oh, the he, nerd he guy lost kept it. it in a glass eye, yeah. But the abbot was like, I hope someone steals that guy's eye. The and eye does come back in the third part. Yes. So there you go. So then the third section is. Uh, fiat uh, voluntas tua, mm-hmm. let that will be yeah. done. And and this is kind of like, so it's the year like 37 something, and suddenly it's now the future. I mean, it's obviously the future, but now it's past the Industrial Revolution and like past 20th century technology because they have spaceships and there are even some <laughs> like space colonies. on like, Not only on like Mars, but on like Alpha Centauri, they have yeah. colonies. They've spread the shit out with their reel-to-reel tape spaceships. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's that thing about the translator not working, and that yeah. was his com- that was his concept of what a computer must have been like at the time. But his idea of a computer is like it looks just like a computer today, but it actually does stuff. In 1959, I think is when the but book it actually still can't came out. take dictation. Which the monks have been working on getting things <laughs> to take that dict for a long time. <laughs> hey, ooh. 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 So anyway, in this third section, it still takes place at the abbey in the Leibowitz, St. Louis Abbey in Utah, but now it's like the future. But what's happening is in the world, so they've reinvented nuclear weapons, and the world is on the verge of just totally wiping each other out again. There's like conflict between the different cities. 
uh, and because because the, the different the different, different countries, it's like a new, it, and it's Asia, yeah, where Russia lives. But it's also the countries. It's also the little countries in North America, like Texarkana. Isn't that this one of their cities that gets nuked? Texar, I think, yeah, like the capital of whatever one of those countries gets nuked. You know, and so yeah. it, what's going on in the background is is the different countries in the world are basically, you know, re- uh, escalating tensions between each other and are about to... It's like one nuke someone from space and then they nuke the space station. Yeah. And everybody's like, hey guys, let's chill for now. And so they had a 10-day, there's a 10-day uh, ceasefire. And what happens is, is that in the, the church that they're in, the monks, they activate their secret plan to send the monks to space so they can continue space the church. monks. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's what it is. Except that show hadn't come out yet, so Leibowitz wouldn't make that. I believe uh, Walter Miller wouldn't get that joke. If you so Space Ghost came out in like the sixties, Space Ghost yeah, yeah. was pretty close. But this is fifty nine. Yeah. yeah, I believe uh, the Catholic Church's plans to dominate space was called Operation Mastronauts. <laughs> You're welcome, gentlemen. No, yeah. Praise to him in the very highest. <laughs> <laughs> and above so above above the atmospheric <laughs> praise. Uh, so okay, we have a lot more beers to get through. So do we? only three, uh, only three, only three. That's not so bad. Well, let's pick there's one. not that much book left. So All right, we'll so let's. Well, speaking of the astronauts, yep. <laughs> I, think, I think astronauts might be one of my best puns on the show. And you guys are just really saying a lot. You are you are denying it, like like, like I'm, Peter I'm or whoever the one that has denied <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I believe that was Peter, yeah, or Thomas, doubting Thomas. No, no, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. No, no, Tom, you, doubting is from denying. Peter did deny him. You have a one in 12 chance, but really only people know the names of like four apostles. So John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And Ringo would never doubt. He wrote, can't pass me by. And he was like, that's about the Lord. <laughs> so this is called... Uh, that's very nice, Ringo. This beer is called <laughs> Beer Hates Astronauts. I don't know why, but... All right. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but that's what it's called. Half Acre. Oh, we got some of their stuff. Yeah. And what it's is a picture it? of a bull... Or a, a, a bull with his head on fire punching an astronaut in the face, and the astronaut is an owl or something. I don't know why. This is trippy. It's an IPA. It is it's an IPA from the future. Oh shit! Fuck. Oh, so I guess I guess it's the op- it's, it's it's underaged, <laughs> <laughs> right? Copyright twenty one twelve. No, not really. Oh, fuck you, Rush. <laughs> uh, yeah, seven point five percent. One pint. Well, the in the future where they use pints on cans. <laughs> they still do. On some of them. But they use them in Chicago in the future, apparently. Mm, that's very fruity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is quite fruity. It's very floral. There's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot going on. That is a... I guess in the future, things get busy. Well, we've run out of new tastes by then, so they've just got to combine old tastes <laughs> in new ways. The uh, Yeah, this beer has a... Whole bunch of IPA flavors happening at once. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if they're thinking the same kind of weird modernist things Probably we're describing. Not. But they don't tell us anything, so we have to fill in the blanks ourselves. But it is a blue bull punching an owl in a spacesuit. <laughs> That's yeah, what's the, on the, bull, the, front. the bulls, And there's also a ghost with popcorn cheering him on. We could. We could have. We could have just actually fucking nailed it. <laughs> we could have. Yeah. They owe us money now. Oh, here it says at the top: the wildly unofficial beer of the world's least explainable comic book. God Hates Astronauts. So apparently it's a comic book called God Hates Astronauts. It's probably just absurdist crap. Uh, back to this book, Let That Will Be Done, is the third book, and they're on the verge of the war, and there's like, 
it's not clear because you're kind of getting like these filtered reports. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it, it looks like there was a test that was done underground, but actually it was a detonation, and now this country's well, denying it. They're trying to like, tell everybody that's a test so they won't lose their shit. So they're like lying. Right. So you have to kind of like, this smells like, smells like bullshit to me, but you don't really know. Until the end, then you know. Yeah. Yep. If you don't know, now you know. And so the whole third section takes place in the 10-day ceasefire when, you know, there's sort of like stuff's being worked out. But, but one city has been nuked. And it's the city next door or something oh, like that. Because they have all these the refugees. Cities and the refugees are coming in. And like the, whatever the version of the Red Cross is, is there. And they're basically just... It's the Green Star. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Yep. They're like putting people out of their misery. And the, the Abbot's like, you can't do that. Like no euthanasia. You're not allowed oh. to. They're not. It's the, they. They. We want the youths in Asia, <laughs> <laughs> but also just the youths in any continent that you could spare. Yeah. But they have. He sees them erect a like we were going to build this thing on your grounds because it's by the the space highway or <laughs> whatever the future has. <laughs> and he's like, but you can't tell when people come to you and they're gonna die from the radiation poisoning. Their policy of the government is to just be like, all right, let's just let's just kill you now and then. You know, because you're gonna die for sure. Yeah, let's just. People there's there's no chance they're like their insides are liquid. Yeah, like, you, this could be really awful for like th- seven more days, or it could just be over now. And this is actually the best part of it. <laughs> and they're like, "Gee, oh, that's not a good deal." So the the monk guys like, "Don't fucking tell them that that's an option." And then they kind of go back and forth, and they kind of agree to just disagree. <laughs> and says, "You can do that if you go and build your camp two miles down the road, and then I'm gonna send the monks to picket you." <laughs> Yeah, and he says, find me some monks that are young and have a martyr complex. <laughs> and he says, this is what he says in the book. Mm-hmm, and he yeah. sends the young, the novices, just like Francis in the beginning of the book, to go there with picket signs that they're like, God hates fags, or whatever it is that monks picket with. Right? Oh, that's the Westboro Baptist West Church. Westboro, yeah. Sorry, wrong church. They're like, it's a fetus, it's alive. Those kind of people. And so they're like, don't kill yourself. Well, this goes, maybe it's the whole Mother Teresa. Thing. That didn't happen yet, right? Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa had that whole, like, suffering brings you closer to God. Yeah, uh, some horse sheet. Yeah, that was her thing later. But it's like, I feel like in the 70s is when that became known. Yeah, 50s and 60s were too early. Once she started hobnobbing with dictators. Yeah. Uh, So they have... Sorry, Saint Teresa. Mm, Motherfucker Teresa. (laughs) So they have all these... Oh, we're not going to get endorsed by the church now. Oh, no. So they're hanging up all the... Holding these signs and marching around in, like, the saddest little monk circle. Just five guys just going around in a circle behind each other. And uh, they're getting rocks thrown at them and shit. And then the space police show up. And they're like, listen, you can't do this. This is a, a section 402B. You got to get these guys out of here, Reverend. And he's like, it's, it's actually brother. I don't give a shit. Get him out of here. And then he picks up. He's trying to like, he finds a woman with her child. Who are going to die. And they're going to die. And he's like, she's like, I'm gonna, I need a ride. He's like, where do you need a ride to? She's like, to the fucking to the de- crematorium the <laughs> where they're going to. And he was like, I thought that was a pizza oven. Because he did. He didn't understand that it was a crematorium at first. He thought it was something else. He's like, they're building some sort of furnace to heat them? I guess you must keep the ill warm. It's the desert. Oh, you keep them very warm in the bosom of the Lord. And then he gets pulled. He like tries to take her away, and he tries to convince her, like, don't kill yourself. Then the Lord will really fuck with you. Like This whole part where your insides have turned into oatmeal and your baby's going to die in front of you, that's the Lord being merciful. Yeah. Just wait. Mm-hmm. Don't piss him off. And then, of course, she gets there. And if then you take a shortcut, you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So then that's like... That's most of the... That's most oh, of the section. third section. Oh, yeah. we actually left out that one other person, the tomato woman. 
Oh, the oh, one with two heads. The old tomato woman. Yeah. We are at the very beginning of the section. She's trying to get this woman who's a mutant. She has a second head growing on her shoulder. A tiny but, head, is But it? it's a tiny little... It's like, it's a, like an infant head. It's like an infant head, and it's like, it's like, it's like not alive. It's like, it's like asleep a, it's or a dead something. Head. It's a dead head. Yeah, it's really <laughs> into go- Jerry Garcia. <laughs> um, and she, at the very beginning, she's trying to get it baptized... Like as it's a, as if it's a second person, you know. It's like I I need my second mutant head baptized. <laughs> but she's like, no, no, I need, no, I need someone to baptize Rebecca. Can anyone baptize Rebecca? And like we we know who that is. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to throw out all that whole. I'd water. rather go to hell than touch that sever- <laughs> that other second head. It's like a weird conjoined head. Yeah. At the end of the ten days of the ceasefire, they actually. In the world, they actually nuke each other. All the all the places, but the, but it ends kind of strangely. Well, there's We're, a couple of things. We didn't that are spend going enough on. time actually in the priests going into space thing. Well, they don't. Yeah, go, we'll, they we'll they, they basically that. are taking off as the world ends. We'll we'll get to that. So basically, an important, uh, you know, it's the third part of the book, and it's way in the future, and they have nuclear weapons again, and again they use them. They escalate the conflict between the countries, and then. They decided to use it, and they knew each other. And we'll explain. There's a little bit more that goes along with this, but this beer is called uh, the New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger Atom- Spicy Atomic Pumpkin. <laughs> and when a, I saw that, words. when I saw that, I just I was like, you know what? We just have to get this. That is a we weird smell. It does smell and taste like pumpkin with habanero in it or something. It smells like just like cinnamon. And it, it's somehow fucking crazy enough to work. It's actually yeah. It's it tastes like. It, like it tastes calmer than I thought it would, based on that. Well, when you see atomic, because like yeah. if you buy like atomic hot sauce, that's the kind of shit that makes you shit blood for two days. You know, it's it's pumpkin spice beer. That's what it is. It tastes like it's like a pumpkin spice latte. But, the, but, but there's heat to it. There is there is spice. a little bit. There, there is, is some, there is some actual the heat. heat yeah. Capsaicin, not spice like clove. I'm still just getting mostly cinnamon. Yeah, there's oh, like a faint, a faint a little, amount, just a little bit of burn in there somewhere on the and the finish. A little fallout. A, a little bit of a. You know. Yeah, it says ale brewed with pumpkin, nice. cinnamon, and chilies. Yeah, there is definitely some heat in it. I bet it's country. settled to the bottom of the of the. Is there like sediment? We learned that at the bar when we were at uh, McKellar NYC, the tap room. They had a a spiced beer, and we asked about it, and she's like, "Oh, it's not so bad." They just ta- they just tapped this keg. the The heat, the whatever the heat chemicals, I don't know, tend to settle out. So the first pours are not that spicy. The last pours are very spicy. So I bet there's some element of that to the beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to drink it all to know for sure. Oh, no. We'll just have to. Oh, no. So there's the tomato woman, and um, she wants to get her <laughs> baby head baptized. <laughs> and everyone's, like, trying to, like, confuse her with some bureaucratic runaround shit. Like, oh, but my day's on Tuesdays. <laughs> like, they just won't do it. Second head days are only on Easter. But but isn't it two for Tuesdays? But the the guy is like, oh, actually, I'm a priest, but I'm actually only a monk priest, like so I can't really do that. You got to go to your regular it's priest. Like, I'm, just, I'm just like I'm just in charge of the abbey. I don't do the religious it's stuff. Like a, it's like a priest DMV. Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're in the wrong line. You've got to fill out this form. Start again. It's very Kafka like. <laughs> oh no no, you got to go fill. You got to go over there. And she's just like, okay, well, buy my tomatoes. And she says tomato every time, which got really. Hiring. She says to talk about her tomatoes every sentence. Yeah. And she sells them. And it's funny. She sells the tomatoes at a fucking ripoff price to the nuns at the adjacent abbey and then donates the profit to the other abbey. 
Because mm-hmm. everybody feels too bad to reject her. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> it is. And so... We saw one with a tiny second head, something's like, ah, I feel like she should help somehow. An old wrinkly bag, too. Well, She's so here's what happens. Uh, when it's when basically everybody decides to nuke each other, it's not and it's it's not like every it's not like the world just disappears. The abbey falls down. It like like the bomb like like knocks it down, and the the priest dude who I forget his name at this point. Yeah, they don't, yeah. but he's basically trapped under rubble with the weird woman with two heads. So he's like trapped. He's like he's like his whole like bottom half of his body is just like under like like four tons of, of rubble and definitely he's not going to get out and he's definitely going to die. But um, the weird woman with two heads is there and right when the bombs go off or right, right at that point, the other little baby head wakes up. <laughs> That's, it was so does, weird. Does the woman die and the other head takes over? Well, she never talks again. Yeah, it's like, it's like switches. Yeah. I was really not sure what this part, little thing is about. Nor I. It was just like the weird baby head is like talking and doing something. It was very weird. It was very weird. And then, I mean, I guess, uh, and, and then it talks about how, and then they loaded the last children into the spaceship as the bombs were going off, as the nuclear bombs were exploding, and they blasted off into the future. Into Alpha Centauri. Yeah, into Alpha Centauri. And then there was a shark that had not much to eat. The end. Well, they mentioned, so... Okay, yes, that is all true. <laughs> but they there there was a whole kind of subplot with the Abbots trying to convince the guy to lead the expedition. Oh, like there was like if you go on this, it's a one way trip. It's a one way trip. It's going to blow. But and it's like we're sending. Right it'll thing. be better than the end of the Earth. <laughs> and we're sending three bishops so that they can ordain new priests and, and, new, and, popes. New, and new popes while you're out there. So if we, they're basically saying, if we die, you're going to continue the church on whatever colony you end up. And he takes you gotta that have relics. Got to take that bureaucracy yeah. with you. Because if they didn't take the bishops, who would make new priests and the church would die out? Exactly. Gotta, you got to have the, the bosses of the bosses. Got to bring the suits. That's, yeah, that's exactly. How, yeah. That's what kept them alive for so many thousands of years. Yeah, and they take... Uh, don't they just take a microfilm picture of the memorabilia? Probably. They have spaceships and, and tape-to-tape microfilm. play and microfilm. <laughs> yeah. Father, you don't want to use the microfiche? Microfilm will do, my son. Got to bring one of those giant machines to read it from a library. Fucking Probably. garbage, yeah. <laughs> But I've had to. I use those. I've used them yeah. too. Yeah, I've never used one. It's it's awful. It looks awful. I've seen you use it in movies. It's like that seems awkward. It, it is not fun. But you know, there was like uh, time capsules that were made in the 20th century, where they were like, let's leave all the record of important things for the future, and they just put, you know, a mile of fucking microfilm in there. It's like great. And nowadays, like yeah, it's it's like a it's a, a thumb drive, and there's a lot of space left over now. <laughs> it's a JPEG. Yeah. Which is the thing that all science fiction ends up suffering from. And this book does too, where they're like, I think the future is going to look like today, but it's just going to be better. Like it's better at doing its job. So I did like that in the, um, in the, they were doing all those interviews between like the secretary of defense or whatever. Yeah. And the lady reporter. Yeah. I, that was her name. Yeah. yeah. Lady reporter. <laughs> the future is sexist. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently hashtag. But look in the future. The ladies have jobs. <laughs> She's allowed to talk to a man. Well, they just let her off the fief <laughs> to start doing reporting in the space vessels. I mean, we can go through some more details. There's more, some more finer points that we're not, you know, doing justice to us as per usual. But let's drink this first. Nate, did you bring this? I did. This is called this is uh, this is called Into the Fire by Duclaw, and it is a seven point one percent New England IPA. What's and the hops are Citra and Galaxy. 
Which are the same hops for the um, bump in this on thread. On I think. Bump in this thread, yeah. So we can kind of compare. Maybe we'll get a sense of what these hops taste like, but I bet we won't actually, because when you put we, when you put the hops, makes a huge difference in what it's going to taste like. So yeah, it's a New England IPA, and you know it's it's pretty good. It's tasty, mm-hmm. and it's a little more bitter than I expect a New England IPA to be. It's pretty good. Not quite as like that juicy kind of flavor. Like juice. Well, didn't Duclaw make that? Uh, what the fuck? The Hell on Wood. Yes. So Jimmy's favorite beer in the world. It's up there. It's up there. He likes it better than West Wetter in Twelve. Than what? The Monk beer. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think I do too, actually. Fuck monks. So this is gold into the fire because that's where the earth is plunged yet again, the flame deluge. Mm-hmm. Because people is dumb. So there's in this last section, there were some really interesting things they're saying because they're kind of asking themselves, asking themselves, how can people do this? You know, how can here, I just wrote down some quick quotes. How can such a great and wise civilization destroy itself? And they're really talking about the past ancient civilization, the one that, you know, the 20th century civilization, you know, how can such a great and wise civilization destroy itself? Maybe they were merely material, materially great and not materially wise. They're great that they have great stuff, but they're not, they're, maybe they're merely materially great and materially wise. Like they don't actually have wisdom. They were just able to invent a lot of cool stuff, but then because they're not wise, they're actually stupid. It means that they blew each other up and Dumb we're, they're about cool to toys. do it again. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and, you know, because this book was written, you know, during one of the most dangerous points of the Cold War, when it was perfectly reasonable for most people to be afraid that the world would, that the United States and Soviet Union would definitely nuke each other and it would be very bad. And this is, you know, nuclear, uh, the first atomic bomb was, uh, you know, tested in 1945 and then used against Japan. And by the 1960s, that would, that is a like, 100 kiloton bomb, which means it has the same destructive power as 1,000 tons of TNT. Those, that's the 1945 bomb. Even by the late 50s and early 60s, they were testing like the 50 megaton bombs. I mean, they just, the, the amount of destructiveness that went into nuclear technology just in the 10, 15 years after World War II was amazing. And then they kind of left it there. They didn't bother to do more than that since then. But that's good enough. That's good it's enough. Diminishing returns. And in fact, the, That'll do, pig. the biggest bomb that's ever been set off. Czar Bomba. Exactly. The scientist said, we could have made it twice as big. Huh. But we just, we just thought that was enough and it would have been too dangerous because <laughs> you couldn't be too far away. You know, you, it would be too dangerous to like set up and actually drop from an airplane or whatever. It was like, it just would have been too dangerous. So we only made it half as destructive as we could have. But we know how to do it. And they blew a giant hole in Siberia with it or wherever they fucking did. And that was in the 60s, wasn't it? I believe so. If you ever look, there's a cool infographic kind of thing online of the the strength. Like the size of the mushroom cloud ones? Yes. And like you see the Zarbamba one and it's like, holy shit, that's really big. And then you see there's an inset on the graph because it's so small. It can't even use the same scale. And then you're like, oh, that was the Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Yeah. It's like this one hundred thousandth or some crazy ridiculous could wipe out a, you know could wipe out a one of our states with one of these oh yeah and and so and most of that uh, research was was really very early well because it is realizing what if we put two two uraniums can we put two uraniums two <laughs> how, how many how many you want to an, an a plutonium let's let's try that now like they just kept multiplying what they were putting into it essentially the amount of uh I mean, you're putting in like unstable atoms, shit. It's pretty. 
Easy to double them. I lost count. Was that four or eight cesium? Shit. <laughs> I'm just going to call it four. Let's <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> We've got some islands we can test these on. Yeah. And they, and, and they would like, I mean, even the United States government would test these and have the Navy come out like, hey, boys, want to watch a bomb? And they'd be like, yes, because I'm fucking tired of being a sailor. And then they all died. Like, here, yeah. put on these protective 3D glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and glasses made out of Coke bottles. And, and they're like, ooh, these are from the future. <laughs> and then all their skin melted off. You know, they uh, all died of cancer by the time they were 30. Those early tests, they did them in the remote Pacific Islands, like the island of Bikini. Bikini Atoll? Yeah, exactly. Um, but a lot, but after they stopped testing them on the islands, uh, on the Pacific, remote Pacific Pacific Islands, they tested a lot of them in Utah. Because Utah has so much open space and that the Mormons are just so conservative and then they would, they are so just loyal to the government, I guess you could say, that they were perfectly, they were okay with having nuclear tests out in the middle of nowhere in Utah. Do you know there's a, there's a theory, I don't, I don't watch it, but uh, SpongeBob, it's Bikini Bottom because under the sea at Bikini Atoll, which is why all these creatures are sentient and build houses. <laughs> it's because of all the nuclear testing it caused them all to mutate into weird sentient creatures. I believe it. And there's that one that's in the uh, the spacesuit because that's a squirrel. She just lives under the ground. But but there's the but I mean it's clearly showing the link between the uh, defense spending and the Cold War uh, with the space race. I guess I thought it was just because this is SpongeBob a... you're talking about. I'm just, just making shit up now. Okay. I mean she was just a squirrel, so she needed that to live under the under the sea. <laughs> I believe it. Don't they have all those like weird, uh, like ghost, like mock towns full of like dummies and fake houses out in the desert where they would test things? I believe so. Yeah, I that was a thing only in movies, like in that shitty Indiana Jones. No, movie. They, I think they actually used they built those for testing to see how that would react. Like, oh, it's you know this far from the blast. See if they get liquefied or you know just spontaneously burst into flames. No, that does sound plausible. Wasn't that in Indiana Jones Four? Yeah, the shitty they, one. Yeah, when you, you nuke the fridge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the well, he si- survived the, in the fridge. Yeah, the fridge yeah. survived. The rest of the town did not. But Nuke in the, in the fridge shot a hundred fucking yards through the air, and he was okay. Well, he works out a lot. It was so stupid. But Nuke in the fridge is an expression that came from that stupid movie. Is it like jumping the shark? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the book. Finish it up. That's the plot. The world kind of goes back on itself. Let thy will be done. Who, mm-hmm. Whose will? I don't know. I guess the Lord's. Like, is he? Does he not want us to get too close? I don't, I don't know what that meant. You know, the it's titles. about the Tower of Babel. And nuclear arms are the Tower of Babel. And we get too close, then we knock ourselves down. But isn't it the <laughs> Lord knocking us down? He's allowing us, because everything we do is the Lord allowing us to do it. Humans don't do anything. But that's, like the, that's the standard criticism of Christian ideologies, that you're, we are made sick and commanded to be well. <laughs> yeah. but It's fair. But it kind of seems to be happening in this book, or it's not clear to me, maybe because I'm such a skeptic and such a cynic that I look at this and I'm like, yeah, that's that's because man is shitty. I don't really connect the the religious element to the story of the book. I'm sure I'm not the only one here who feels similarly. Probably not. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a fun book. I thought it was cool. I thought I really liked getting all the like little historical jokes in it, essentially, the references to things. I also liked that it made, even though their sections were not really direct sequels to each other, there were references within. So like in the second and the third books, they mention the relics of Saint of like Francis, the man who was martyred, 
And the we never even talked about the wandering Jew character, whatever the fuck his name is. He's not in the third part. He totally is. Is he? Yes, he is. He's in the third part too. And who is he in the third part? Another guy that just kind of like whines and complains and is like, "This is you're being idiots," and that's what he does. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. But they mention how at some in the second section they mention that some like that character led them to the remains of the dead Francis guy. Oh, right, yeah. But off off mm. camera, like you don't really see that. Yeah. And then he's brought and he's buried and he's like beatified or something. He's not a saint. But that, and also one of the guys in the third section has like a necklace with the glass eye in it, and it's like the relic of an ancient poet we hear. We're not really sure whose it was. Right, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool, like the, the self-referencing stuff. And there was also like a, maybe I'm reading too far into it or just seeing how bullshit this stuff is. It's like, oh, they're just making up stories about like, oh, we don't really know about this, but it's clearly a thing. And it's like, this is some dude's glass-eyed and he sucked. He's a shitty poet. Yeah. But Walter M. Miller was a guy who converted to Catholicism in adulthood and became very pious. Well, that makes sense. So that's interesting, too. Converts are usually more pious. They are. Because for sure. they want to get into it. But it, it makes me think that he's not actually being critical of the church in any point well, in I don't this think, book. I don't think he's being critical of the church at all. But like, or, or of God, when he's like, let thy will be done, or whatever. Like, that's not judgmental of God. That's like saying, like, this is just the way it's going to be. You know, Catholics are all about penance, and we are sinful creatures, and we're all fucked up I don't, think, I don't think the Catholics have a, a majority on that. No, but I mean, that. but they are very into it, and this is, book is about Catholics. It's true. I don't know. I'm not a very good Catholic, so I don't watch. What do you think, Nate? Book, whatever. So I... I think the plot is kind of slow, but I still really liked it because I thought it was because it's about what the what the book is really about. It's not, you know, the book is really about the Cold War and the danger of nuclear weapons and it's like really about the history of, you know, the Middle Ages and the Roman Empire and I thought that was a really interesting way to bring it in. But you know, it's really in 1959 or 1960, his warning about nu- the dangers of nuclear weapons and why this book is still relevant today is because we're practically in almost almost as much danger from nuclear weapons today as we were during the Cold War. It seems like because the Soviet Union broke up and they're no longer communists that we don't have to, you know, be enemies with them, except they still have plenty of nuclear weapons and the United States is definitely gaining a lot of tension. We have, what, definitely, like we have thousands of them? We still have a lot. They've, the, the numbers have shrunk or more like nuclear weapons don't last forever. You know, they have to be decommissioned at some point. And, and so... They haven't just built new ones, although I'm pretty sure even under the Obama administration, they passed in one of the defense spending bills. They put in a whole lot of money to update, modernize, and build more nuclear weapons. Plus, believe it or not, there are so many... Nuclear weapons are just so dangerous. The possibility of an accident happening with them is really high. Or the possibility of either the United States or Russia misinterpreting something and think they're under attack, thinking they're under attack. Uh, there's a really interesting documentary called Countdown to Zero, which is about the current dangers of, of nuclear weapons, which I thought was really interesting. There have been so many examples of... Close like calls. The, uh, close calls of, like, the satellites, you know, uh, a flock of geese sets off some, it sets off some, like, spy satellite that is supposed to look for missile launches and then sends the message to Washington and... The president really has five to ten minutes to make a decision about whether to launch the missile, launch the missiles back. This is the whole premise of 99 Red Balloons. I was just trying to work that in <laughs> yeah. somehow. Uh, the German song? The German song, they, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, they, they launched, they, the people let go, let 99 Red Balloons go over the wall, and 
one of the sides decides that's a nuclear launch, and so they start nuking each other. That's the end of the world. That's what that song's about. Yeah, I really, I always well, know the, the English the version. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and so there are this this couple of things really did happen where uh, you know the pre, you know it's the middle of the night. The, the as Pentagon gets a notification that nuclear missiles are coming in, and really they have five minutes to decide whether it's real or not. And you never know; they could. And it, this happened in the seventies, and they were like, eh, "No, it's fine. Don't worry about it." Literally, the National Security Advisor says, "Nah, it's fine." But it happened to uh, not Boris Yeltsin uh, in the nineties, where where they, you know, the, the generals Russian Clinton. Right, exactly. The Russians. This he was pres. He was the first president of the new Russia. This was in the 1990s. Uh, he was woken up in the middle of the night. Mr. President, we're under attack. And Boris Yeltsin is was a very very heavy drinker. He and died so, of alcoholism, didn't he, or like some uh, related disease? Yeah, he was. He, and so he was. He was not very in very good health. But um, this is the danger. They have five minutes to decide. What if they're really really drunk? And they could, they could decide to launch all the missiles. This is still a really dangerous situation. Well, maybe if a world leader is told the country is under attack, they'll just spend another 11 minutes reading My Pet Goat <laughs> to children. You know, that might save us, <laughs> I have to say. True story. And to be fair, there's true, a lot of words Very true story. It's on tape. And it's an exciting tale of a goat. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so, uh... It's worth reading for sure because of the cautionary tale element of the book. I, I actually really liked it. I thought it was a really clever thing, maybe because it played to all of my interests, whether it be history, sci-fi, trying to forget Catholic school. I think that it kind of played into all those things. I really dug it. I liked it too. Jimmy didn't do it for you. It didn't do it for me, but I think that's just because it wasn't what I thought it would be. I, I thought like the, the premise as it was explained to me was they find an old relic and it's post-apocalyptic and they're like, what does this mean? I was like, that's actually a really interesting idea. Like, if they had taken that and like went a different direction with it, I thought it would be a really cool book. I thought this was, it was interesting. It was an interesting premise still and they, you know, did a different thing with it. I wasn't the thing I expected and maybe by that I was let down. And it was like a retelling of history again. It was like, okay, I get it. But I I don't know. In the end, it's just like, all right, yeah. History repeats itself. Cool. Not cool, actually. Terrible. Fire. Yeah. yeah. Bad. Hot. Very Burn. hot. Very hot. Bad. Into the fire. Into the fire. Dragon Force. <laughs> <laughs> yes, through the fire and the flames. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess uh, you know you'll have to read and let us know yourselves. You could send us an email at drunkguysbookclub at gmail or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>